Good evening, church. A big thank you to the, the team that prepared. Um, that's a lot of time and effort and energy that goes into leading us in worship. And uh, thank you to everybody. It's only Isaac who gets paid for it. The rest are all volunteers. So we can expect no mistakes from him. The rest is grace. <laughs> It's a real pleasure to be with you again this evening, and I had to be careful this morning. I sung my lungs out. Every inspiration, my mask being pulled into my mouth as we worshiped this morning at the hill, and as I sung this evening, I had to hold myself back and say, Tim, your voice needs to go a little bit further than just worship this evening. So um, what a privilege to be together in church, in God's church, and to be worshiping together a God who is worthy of worship, absolutely worthy of worship. And uh, we're going to dig into um, the second part of our three-part series uh, this evening. But before we do that, I need help, so let's pray. Father, you're a great and awesome God, and we are eternally indebted to you because of the way that you have made for us out of the gutter of sin towards a hope of eternity that shines so brightly, Lord, we, we can hardly imagine it. And Father, tonight as we explore just a little piece of your word, I just pray that you would help me to say the words that you would have said, Lord. Nothing more and nothing less. Father, help all of our hearts to be open to be teachable, to be receptive to your spirit this evening. Father, we need you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So for those of you who are here for the first time, you clearly missed last week uh, by inference, and we're doing a, a series called Who Do You Think You Are? And uh, last week we dived into a passage. Am I too loud? Was it Okay. I've got a big voice, but as long as I don't blast you guys away, but who do you think you are? And last week, we had a look at this identity, a dilemma to be discovered, and we looked at the illustration of old Jason Bourne from the Bourne series, and how he ended up being fished out of the sea on a fishing boat and had a bullet pulled out of his back, didn't know who he was, didn't know where he came from, didn't know what he did, and slowly but surely, he discovered through this first part of uh, the movie series, his identity, something of who he was trained at and in between plenty of action scenes. And so we realize that this illustration speaks towards you and me in our identity. We're lost as we start to discover who we really are when we start looking at God, when we start looking at his word, when we start looking at sin, and we realize, man, oh man, I am lost. I have an identity that is characterized by sin, an identity that's characterized by no hope, an identity that's characterized by destruction lying ahead of me. And so I'm in a dilemma, and I need to come to Jesus Christ. And that was Paul's challenge to the Ephesians. And we had a look at how the Ephesians were challenged, the Ephesian Christians, not to identify with their city not to identify with the characteristics of their city, but to be set apart in Christ. And we, we see in that first chapter, in Christ, in Christ, in Christ, of Christ. 
And Paul is making this, this emphasis. That's where you need to find your identity. And so identity, a dilemma to be discovered. And tonight we're going to look at identity defined. And so last week we saw that Jason Bourne discovered his identity. He discovered defining characteristics of who he was. He discovered his nationality. He discovered that he was like an insane martial arts, like only Hollywood can make, professional who could kill somebody with a big pen with their small toe. He, he, he was that kind of guy. He, he discovered something of his abilities. But who here doesn't know those kind of characteristics about themselves? You and I are not in a Hollywood movie. We haven't been fished out of the ocean. We know where we come from. We know our family. We know by this stage, most of you know what you're relatively good at. You know what you're not so good at. You know plenty characteristics. Most of you know that you're never going to make a national sports team at this stage, okay? We, we know those kinds of things. We, we know that there's a li good likelihood that the majority of us here are just going to be average people. Average people. We're going to fit into this category of general characteristics, plenty to define us and separate us from each other. But these are superficial characteristics, superficial characteristics. The true descriptors of our identity go much deeper than these simple aspects of your and my life. True identity is not changed by what we do. So one or two of you might end up becoming a professor of something small and insignificant. <laughs> you know, that's what professors are. Professors are people who know a lot about very little. Also with a lot of PhDs. That's what you happen when you specialize. You go and spend a lot of time learning a lot about very little in life. Okay? So some of you might go on and, and, and become something great. Some of you might achieve some amazing things. And those are fantastic things. I'm not belittling those tonight. But our true identity does not come from those things that go on your and my CV. Your CV will not define you. J.A. Meadows says, we can pop over to the next slide if you like, we are often more drawn to what we can do for Jesus than who we are in Jesus. And so we need to perhaps hang on to this phrase tonight, my identity must come, my identity in Jesus must come before my activity in Jesus. And so for you and I, we've got to, we know the characteristics, we know what we studied, we know what we studied, we know what we've done the last 20 years, we, we know these, these superficial things, but if my identity is in Jesus Christ, I've got to know a bit more about who I am in Jesus Christ. You and I have got a long way to go in great contrast to the message. Jabba, was it the same message preached here this morning as at, at the hill? No, okay. So at the hill, we, we, we spoke about God this morning. Charles preached on uh, the I am. And in great contrast to a God who is self-sufficient, who needs nothing, we cannot add to him, we cannot take away from him. He is the I am. <laughs> you and I need work. We need a lot of work. And so it's a good place to start, to start discovering that I've come from this dilemma in the gutter with no hope, with, 
with nothing to hold on to, no purpose in this life other than just a body on this earth. And if I've come to that point of coming to know Jesus, I've started to move towards having an eternal purpose, an identity, a primary identity in Jesus Christ. And that identity supersedes my skin color, it supersedes my age, it supersedes my culture, it supersedes my education, it supersedes my wealth, and the list can go on and on and on. And so that is the foundation that we've got to spend time on getting to know who am I in Christ because that should influence everything else. And so Paul has spoken to the Ephesians and we're going to look at a little, a little comparison on the screen between Ephesians and Galatians and what Paul has said to the Ephesians and what he says to the Galatians about their identity in this man, Jesus Christ. And so in Ephesians, we saw that we are saints, we are blessed, we are chosen and predestined, we are owned and adopted, we are redeemed, and we have hope, and it's that whole passage, in Christ, in Christ, in Christ. That is the center of where we find these defining characteristics of our identity when we know Jesus. But this evening, we're going to spend a little bit more time in Galatians, we're going to spend a little bit of time having a look at what it means to have this identity in Jesus Christ. I forgot to stop to start the time on my watch. So we're going to go for 50 minutes instead of 30. <laughs> Thanks, Les. So in Galatians 1 verse 10, we read that we are servants. We are servants. What, an, what a non-PC thing to say these days. We are servants. It's something that we can read about in history. It's not a cool thing to take on that badge. You know, you don't walk into a conference. I was in a conference in Cape Town on Friday, and I, I didn't walk in there with my badge that says Tim and then write underneath servant. I walked in there, and when I spoke to people and engaged with people, and they're like, what are you doing here? I was like, well, I'm the beekeeper guy and blah, 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 and all this. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't zoom in on servant. But Paul says we're servants. And a lot of you aren't employed. But one day, hopefully, most of you will be employed. But Brad, for example, he doesn't know I'm going to pick on him. Brad is a servant to the airport company of South Africa through the air traffic control company. And so he, he's employed by a company that makes sure that airplanes don't crash into each other and into the ground and it's quite an esteemed thing. I always looked up at air traffic controllers as, as amazing people. Brad's a very normal guy, but he's, he does a great job, a very important job that most of you and I would fail at. But he's employed by a big company, and he's a servant to that company. Yes, Brad? You're a servant to them, really. When they tell you you start work on Tuesday morning at 8 a.m., you're there. And so the list can go on. We could pick out some people. Like, oh, it doesn't help picking the self-employed people like Kenneth. But. but imagine if you got a job with one of the most famous people in the world. You can put, put a name there. Prep, I don't know, I would be very excited if I got a call from the Springboks to say, somehow we need your skills. <laughs> But won't you, won't you come and join the team? We're going on the Northern Hemisphere team, and we'd like you to be employed. I tell you, I would make plans like, choof, choof, 
try and get everything, Matt would become very, very busy very quickly as I palm everything off onto him and be on the plane to go and be a servant of the Springbok rugby team. And perhaps tonight it would be Bafana Bafana for you. You would be, you'd be happily serving them. And so we have this concept of it being non-PC to be taking on the title of a servant, and yet, in reality, we really are very happy to be servants in certain aspects of our lives. And Jesus said, when you take on my identity, you're not a king, you're not a boss, you're not a big guy, you're a servant. And so it's really important that you and I start to take that little word and start to pull it into our CV. (laughs) Pull that little word servant into who you are, into the characteristics of who you are as a person. Why do I have these perceptions that it's such a lowly thing to serve the king of the universe way better than a call up to the spring box? Way better. And it's now, it exists. I, I know I am a servant of the king and yet I don't spend time thinking about it or thinking how am I going to be a great servant for the king of the universe. You know, if I was sitting on that plane on the way to Scotland to go and serve the Springboks, I'd be thinking of, I'd be making notes, what can I do to, you know, how am I going to be a good beekeeping Springbok something, you know, like coming up with ideas of how I can add value and, and, and be the best that I could be for them in the Northern Hemisphere during the tour. And yet, when last did I make a note? Man, God, my neighbors, I think they need help. The student who lives next door to me seems to be in trouble. Lord, how can I serve the student next door? Lord, how can I reach out in my neighborhood? Lord, maybe I need to take that step and expose myself to that colleague and say, I know you might think this is awkward, but can I pray with you? You've told me about the stuff that's going on. You know, do you mind if I pray with you? Only once in my life have I been told, don't pray for me. (laughs) And then I told the guy, don't worry, when I walk out the door, I'm going to pray for you. He said to me, it's okay, just don't do it here. I'm still friends with him. You and I are saved to serve. We're saved to serve. And that is not a bad thing, students. That is an amazing thing. To be called a servant of the king. Something of your and my identity. Jesus says, I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me in. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. In Matthew 25, verse 35 to 36. And then in verse 40, and the people say, when did we do these things? And Jesus said, truly, I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. And so if you have decided to follow Jesus, to take on his identity, and it's a cool thing, we decide, but actually God decides, 
And then we realize later on as we start to walk with him, we're like, I, but I always thought I made that decision. And actually God made that decision. And I don't know how that fits together, but that's cool because that's God. That's, we don't need to understand everything of God's mind. And if you really want to go into the detail, then speak to Jabu and Isaac about predestination. But as you have this new identity in Jesus, let's start to get serious about what he calls us to be. And let's start to scribble down those notes. And let's start to think about the people around us. If you start making a list, ask God, I challenge you, ask God, Lord, where do you want me to serve you? Man, you don't have, one lifetime's not enough. One lifetime's not enough. So young Christians, I challenge you, take on the characteristic of servanthood. And then Paul says to the Galatians, we are crucified with Christ. Galatians 6 verse 14, and again in Galatians 2 verse 20, I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. If I want to take on the identity of Jesus, in a metaphorical sense, I need to die with him as he died on the cross. You and I need to die to the world. We need to be crucified with him. And as we are crucified with him, it sets us on a path to live with him, to live for him, to live through the power that he gives us and the spirit that he puts inside of us. No matter where we go, no matter what we do, no matter what circumstances we find ourselves in, you can be in the loneliest place in the world, and yet this Jesus who died for you and who you have been crucified with is with you. Isn't that an awesome place to be? Man. And I don't know what your life is like. I don't know everybody in the room. And perhaps you're sitting here and you're like very lonely or very discouraged or you've seen so much on social media about what the world says you should be, what your identity should look like according to Instagram or what your identity should look like according to Facebook or Twitter. Oh man, that is the most destructive path you can take. Because you're never going to match up. And, and that path leads to destruction. And Satan is using that. And I'm not dissing social media platforms. Satan is using the call to sinful identities in this world. To pull you aside. To try and distract you from the path that God wants you to walk. And so Paul says to the Galatians... Man, you're crucified with this Jesus. And you need to start walking that path with this Jesus. Carrying the cross like Jesus carried. And there's no prosperity there. <laughs> there's no health and wealth teaching there, guys. And if you're going to follow this Jesus, if you're going to take on this identity, you are going to be persecuted. You are going to have a hard time. And so I'm not telling you to take on this identity and have Jesus' identity on your CV so that your life is lacquer. It's going to be tough. 
but man, in the end, there is reward. And on this path, through the toughness, there can be a joy that you will get from Jesus that you would never get on any path that Satan offers you in this world, in your identity. We are servants of Christ. We are crucified with Christ. And we are children of God. The third point that Paul makes to the Galatians in chapter 3, verse 26 we're not like Jesus exactly. We're not little Jesuses. When we take on this identity of Jesus, it doesn't mean that you and I are little Jesuses running around. But he takes us on into his family. Like Jesus, we become a part of the family of God. And there's some amazing perks. And this is something that's very, very close to my heart. Because... God changes our, our identity from being strangers from God to being family with God. From having no inheritance, and we'll get that in a second, to having an inheritance, a place to call home. And for maybe not everybody knows, but my wife and I have adopted a little boy called Tatu Koza. He's about to become Tatu van Storenbroek. Bless him. But the beauty of seeing me in him. And that, that is the joy that we get as adoptive parents. When Tatu was found, and even now, he has nothing to offer. Except tears. The odds, well not the odds, there's plenty of smiles and dirty nappies. That's what he's got to offer. He's got nothing. He, he brought nothing to the table. He brought nothing to bargain with to come into a place where he was part of a family. And I'm not saying that to shine the light on us. I'm saying that because I see myself there. I was in the gutter with nothing. Nothing. And yet God does this amazing, amazing miracle. He lifts me out and he gives me this identity in Jesus Christ. And he says, Tim van Stormbrook. You're now in my family, whether you like it or not. You're part of my family. And he gives me this new identity as a child of God. If you're feeling small and insignificant at this time, if you're new at university and you feel like a very small fish in a very big pond and you're anxious about what lies ahead and you don't know how you're going to pay for varsity fees and there's issues at home with family and maybe there's a boyfriend who's just told you cheers and all of these things are big in your head, put them at the foot of the cross and concentrate on this beautiful picture of being called a child of God. Man, there's no better place to be. We are no longer strangers, but family. I want to read Galatians 4, verse 4 to 7, briefly. I hope we're going to make through everything without time. But Galatians chapter 4, reading from verse 4 to verse 7. But when the right time came, God sent his son, born of a woman, subject to the law, God sent him to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law so that he could adopt us as his very own children. I'm gonna, I've had the privilege of being adopted once and it is my deep prayer that our little Tatu will have the privilege of being adopted twice. 
first physically and then spiritually. And the physical one will pale in insignificance when he experiences the spiritual adoption. And because you Gentiles have become his children, God has sent the spirit of his son into your hearts. And now you can call God your dear father. Now you are no longer a slave, but God's own child. And since you are his children, everything he has belongs to you. Man, I don't want to be anywhere else. I don't want to be anywhere else. And yet, you and I, so often, as we go through the week, as we go through the struggles of varsity and we're busy and stuff's coming at us and we're distracted and we forget to read our Bibles and we forget to pray and we, we put off going to church and we start becoming distant from, from Christian friends and so we start becoming distracted and, and suddenly this, this identity in Jesus becomes almost secondary and alienated in our minds and, and we need to come back to this beautiful truth and re, in, a, in a sense recenter ourselves on the beauty of who I am in Jesus Christ because suddenly it reprioritizes stuff in our lives. We are children of God. And then in Galatians 3 verse 29, we are heirs with Christ of everything. We are heirs of Christ of everything. I've had a look at some records online and the biggest inheritance, like the biggest family inheritance is the family called the Walton family who own Walmart in the USA. Uh, obviously, there's individual rich people like Elon Musk and those guys. But as a family and an inheritance from father to son to grandson, somewhere in the region of 190 billion U.S. dollars that the Walton family passes on from father to son to grandson. We're in luck, eh? Imagine. Imagine. No worries. <laughs> Actually, the opposite. With all of that comes plenty of worries. And yet, listen to this. Let's consider this for a moment. Let's consider this. Does God own everything? Yes. If God owns everything, and he's just told us in Galatians chapter 4, that what God owns is yours, what does that mean? It suddenly puts me in a slightly shinier position than the Walton family. They only own 190 billion U.S. dollars. That, they don't own the planets. They don't own the beauty of the Milky Way. And so I want you to consider it's something that it doesn't mean that you can go and stick your name on something, okay? That's not what the Bible's telling you. You can't go and, like, make a claim against Table Mountain and say, God, you know, God owns it, so I own it. It, do, it doesn't quite work like that. But you've got to understand that when the Hubble telescope is traveling through space and it is itemizing stars, it's been doing that since it started and it'll do that until the Hubble telescope is no longer working and it'll still only be counting a fraction of the universe and God knows he created all of those stars. He knows them by name. He knows the distance they are from us. He knows when they will burn out. He knows when new ones will form. He knows how bright they are. He knows which ones are going to bump into which ones. He knows all of that. And he's in control of all of that. And he is my father. And I am his son. And I am his heir. I'd much rather be there 
than have the surname Walton. We are heirs with Christ of everything. Then in Galatians chapter 5, in verse 1, so Christ has really set us free. Now make sure that you stay free and don't get tied up again in the slavery of the law. God says, with this identity in Jesus, you are free. And for the people of the day who had the struggle of um, being Jewish and being so tied to the laws of the day and now being told that so many of these laws are, are no longer applicable to me, I have this freedom in Jesus Christ, that was a real struggle. And don't get this wrong, the struggle with legalism is as big a deal today as it was in those days. The laws are just different. And so perhaps you've been in a place where you've seen real legalism, people's lives being messed up, families being messed up because somebody holds on to something with their dear life saying, this is part of who I am and who we should be and this is part of who our church is and, and yet it's not characterized by the freedom that we have in Jesus Christ. And we need, to, we need to understand the beauty of that freedom. And we also need to be careful. As God walks with us through life, as we grow and mature, and God takes us into positions, one day when you're senior like Eugene, not to become a guy or a girl, a woman or a man, who starts holding on to legalistic things. And although this verse doesn't speak specifically to sin, I think the application is exactly the same. Just read it again. So Christ has set us free, has really set us free. Now make sure that you stay free and don't get tied up again in the slavery of the law. What if we just replace the word law with the word sin there? Because I, I know that Paul teaches that principle. Don't get tied up in sin. You've been set free from sin. Don't go back and get tied up in sin. And perhaps that's a big struggle for you tonight. Perhaps you're sitting here feeling guilty for stuff. Perhaps there's something that you've been trying to shake off for a long time, and it's still this ball and chain. And you still find that you come to the end of the week or the end of the weekend, and you have to come to Jesus. And maybe you put it off because you feel so guilty because you've gone back to Satan's vomit. I, I sometimes use these words when I pray. And I say, Lord, I'm sorry that I've gone back and sipped on Satan's vomit. And the reason I say that is to get my own heart to want to feel Ugh. Because sometimes we can become so comfortable with these sins that we walk with that we don't feel Ugh anymore. And we, don't, and we don't always feel the shame that we should feel. And so that, that, that little sentence helps me to go back and say, Lord, forgive me. Wash me clean for, for going back and sipping on that vomit. Because that's what it is, folks. That's what it is. It'll make you sick. And the more you drink of it, the further you'll drift away from God. 
We are free. What a beautiful aspect of our identity. And then in Galatians 5 verse 18, we are led by the Spirit. We are led by the Spirit. Our lives, our thoughts, our emotions, and our actions are no longer chained to the sinful flesh. They're no longer pushed around by the law, by the Old Testament law, but we are led by the Spirit. Isn't that a beautiful thing? Who likes having a mentor? Who's had a good mentor? Hands up. Look around. There's a lot of people here who can say mentors are great. And the Holy Spirit is the ultimate mentor. And you don't have to make an appointment with him. I've got a couple of mentors in Cape Town, and I've got a couple of mentors here. All of them I have to make an appointment with. And some of them will only give me an appointment in like two weeks' time. The Holy Spirit is this ultimate mentor that we have when we have this identity in Jesus Christ. Out of the gutter, new identity in Jesus, and he says, I'm giving you the Holy Spirit. And he'll never leave you, and he'll walk the road with you. And he is there to teach you to shine his light on Scripture. So as you're reading in your quiet time, you're like, man, I never realized that. Man, the Holy Spirit's just shone his light on there, and he's put your eyes in the right place. And he's, and he's orchestrated the thoughts in your, on your mind to take that scripture and to think about the circumstances of the week and to put them together and go, man, I never thought of it. If only I had this verse in my head when that was happening. Lord, thank you. Man, that's, what a fantastic truth to hold on to. And the next time I'm in that circumstance, Holy Spirit, help me to remember that scripture so that when I'm there, I can use it and apply it. The beauty of the Holy Spirit in our identity as followers of Jesus Christ. The Spirit brings about fruit in our lives as we abide in the vine of Christ tended by the local church and watered by the living and abiding word. The spirit weans us off the works of the flesh. We've just been speaking about that. And sometimes weaning is ana, but it's so, so important. And slowly but surely, the spirit makes us more like Christ. And so folks... These characteristics that we find in this place of identity in Jesus Christ. We are servants. We are crucified with Christ. We are crucified to the world. We are children of God. We are heirs with Christ. We are free. And we are led by the Spirit. That's a good place to be. That's a really, really good place to be. And so what does your born-again born identity look like at the moment? Because you and I are not perfect in this place of a new identity. We've come from lostness, hopelessness in the gutter with no identity or our identity being characterized by our sin and by our lossless and having no eternity. We've come into this new place of a new identity in Jesus Christ and we've been given this identity but sometimes we don't imbibe those characteristics or those character traits. We're not living them out like we should. 
And so if I had to take a snapshot of myself right now, what does my identity in Jesus look like right now? Am I living by the power of the Spirit? Am I living in freedom from the law and freedom from sin? Am I living as an heir of everything that is to come, or am I just like grabbing at what this world can give me and stuffing it in my pockets and my bank account? What does my life look like now? And this is important because we're prone to forget. As human beings, we are prone to forget this, this beautiful, these beautiful character traits that we have in Jesus Christ. We need to live them, we need to love them, and we need to let them be more than just biblical knowledge. Don't just let this stop with like, man, yeah, that's great stuff, great, yeah, great peace in Ephesians and Galatians. I know what Paul said to the Ephesians or what he said to the Galatians, fantastic. And tomorrow I go out and just do my thing. We've got to let these things soak into our lives, soak into our hearts. Ask the Holy Spirit in your time with God to make these character traits of our identity in Jesus Christ a day-to-day reality of my walk. So, this dilemma that all of us find ourselves in because of our nature of being born in sin, perhaps you're here tonight and you have never got out of that position. Perhaps you're still over here and you haven't yet come to know this Jesus and all of these character traits that we've been speaking about of our identity in Jesus are unfamiliar to you. That's okay. That's okay, because the Jesus who does the work of taking us out of here to there doesn't work one day a week. He does it all the time, every day, every second, every moment, every person who finds himself here and says, I realize I'm in this dilemma and I need to be there. God help me. Jesus is there to answer and to pull us out and to take us into this place of a new identity. And so if that's you tonight, I challenge you not to leave here tonight without making that decision, without speaking to God. And if you want somebody to speak with you, there are dozens of people here tonight who would be excited to speak to you and to hear what you have to say and to perhaps help you as you pray or guide you or whatever. I listen to your questions And be with you, in a sense, as you take that step into this new identity in Jesus Christ. And if you're in this position, and some of you have perhaps been here for six months, six years, or 60 years, in this position of an identity in Jesus Christ, perhaps tonight we need to consider refreshing our minds and our hearts about what it means to be in this position so that my walk from here might be greatly influenced by who I am in Jesus Christ. And next week, next Sunday evening, we'll be looking at the topic of identity displayed. Let's close eyes. Father, as I stand before you, I am so aware of all that you have done for me 
in pulling me out of the gutter and pulling me out of a place of an identity that was characterized by sin and hopelessness and putting me in a place where my identity has been defined by being a son of God, by being adopted into your family. Father, I praise you for that beauty. And for each person that's sitting here this evening who has experienced that, Lord, I pray that their hearts would be overflowing with praise as they give you honor and glory and as they relish these characteristics of being identified with Jesus Christ. And Father, I pray that these things won't remain in our heads. Lord, I pray that tomorrow, as we go to work, as we go to varsity, as we go to school, wherever we go, Lord, I pray that our, this reminder of who we are in Jesus Christ will characterize the way that we think, the way that we speak, the things that we do, the places we go. Lord, I pray that through that you would help us to be salt and light. And Father, I pray if there's anybody here this evening who's sitting here thinking, shall I stay behind at the end of the service or shall I just take the easy option and just maybe put it off for a while? Lord, I pray that your spirit would just convict their hearts, Lord, as only your spirit can. And I pray for any individual who would like to do that, that you would give them the courage just to come and speak to one of us here and have a conversation about where they are and where they know they need to be. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.